the way I'm feeling now, I'm not feeling any better whatsoever. Something has to change. Something has to change. I'm not, not saying I'm not going to disregard the grieving period. Of course, I'm, that's in an, in an entire frame. There's no real time frame for that. But what I knew was I had to get some goals in place. I had to get some plans. I had to get an action plan. I needed to get some routine and some rituals back into place immediately. I needed to just get back into the gym. I needed to get back to eating, you know, doing all the things that I was doing prior that got me to a position where, you know, what would just got me through the day. So I needed to just go back and simplify my life, Kim. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. Gives me great pleasure this week to introduce you to another extraordinary human, someone who I think is going to share with you a topic that's very hard to talk about. But I think as you'll notice in the number of shows we've had lately, there is a lot of people out there struggling, a lot of people with mental health issues, and a lot of people feeling very dissociated, very disconnected, and certainly not a part of a community. There is so much division, segregation, decisions, people hating on people because of decisions they're making or not making. And I think if anything, a podcast like today brings us back to the real meaning of humanity. And I love beautiful Leon Stensholm, who brings the topic of mental health to the fore to the forefront and also allows us to see that by being vulnerable, by being okay with not being okay, by being able to start a conversation with someone that you think may not be okay is actually one of the key points to making our uh, time on this earth worthwhile and certainly about reaching out and looking after our fellow mankind and womankind, of course. Leon started building bodybuilding in 2001 after suffering a number of injuries that would end his promising soccer career. It quickly transpired that what Leon lacked in muscle was made up for in spades by sheer grit and determination. He focused on his new sport. Committed to natural bodybuilding, Leon has now been participating in the sport for the past 18 years with multiple Australian and Australasian titles to his name. During this time, he's competed over 65 times, coached hundreds of clients with over over 100 first places and multiple pro cards awarded. Six years ago, following the suicide of his best mate and brother Dean, Leon decided to pursue his dreams and founded Body by Leon Coaching and Personal Training. So committed to helping people to totally transform their body and mind, Leon has also completed a diploma in counselling and written his first book, It's How You Think. Leon operates his gym from where he trains, mentors, and coaches clients in one-on-one sessions that are individually designed for each client and completely private. These closed training sessions are perfect for sports athletes and clients with public profiles seeking privacy and confidentiality when working out. Leon works with a wide range of clients, all with their own unique goals, from professional athletes to everyday people looking to achieve their personal health goals. Leon is particularly passionate about working with those who suffer from mental health concerns and gives his time freely to work in the community on suicide prevention as part of the Alliance for Suicide Prevention. In order to get the best out of people, Leon uses cognitive behavioral therapy, lots of different methods, and provides a framework in which they can work towards achieving goals and transform their life. 
He's a passionate, energetic speaker that you're about to find out, whose enthusiasm and love for life is incredibly contagious. He engages and connects easily with all types of people and leaves his audiences feeling energized, motivated, and I'd add connected. He's a beautiful human. I sincerely hope you listen to this whole podcast. And please remember, at the end of the notes, on the show notes, you will see the links for Lifeline, Beyond Blue, and the Alliance for Suicide Prevention. I really do encourage you to reach out, have the conversation, listen to what Leon has to say today if you're worried about anybody that you love dearly or anyone that you think needs a little bit of support, help, love, and connection. Please post your comments on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison, the number 28. You can also post on my Facebook page, Kim Morrison. And also you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. These podcasts are available on all platforms. I sincerely hope you're enjoying them as much as I love bringing them to you. It is a privilege to bring people like the amazing Leon to the self-love podcast. Enjoy. So as you can hear, an incredible human about to be interviewed on the Self-Love Podcast, someone that I've met through someone else, one of my personal trainers, and then had the absolute pleasure of meeting at the Portraits of Mankind um, beautiful exhibition that both my husband and gorgeous Leon Stensheim were both parts of. Look, welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, Leon. I Kim, thank you so much. I've heard so much about you and, and you, you keep seeing the pop up everywhere, but I actually hadn't thinking I've met you until at that Portraits of Mankind. So I was actually fascinated I met you because I was actually trying to meet your husband and I was a massive fan of, of Danny going back in his, his years playing cricket. And then um, and I made a mission when I went to that event that I'm going, you know what, I've got to get a photo of Danny. And I, didn't click, I didn't click together that actually he was your husband. And then I, then I walked away going, oh, my God, that's Kim. I, feel like I, feel I didn't even really, you know, have a great chat to yourself. So um, it's great to be on, Kim. Thank you. Oh, look, it's such a treat. And, you know, same, same. I've heard a lot about you. And obviously the gorgeous Kerry, my personal trainer, just adores you and looks up to you. And you've trained her to extraordinary heights. But just for our beautiful listener, someone who may not have heard of you, may not have met you yet in person or heard about your incredible journey, maybe you could give us a little brief background as to who Leon is and what led him to doing and being who he is today. Yeah, Kim, thank you very much. Yeah, Leon going back in the archives was the most quiet, quietest, shyest, anxious young man you'll probably ever meet. And I, and I stayed that way, to be honest, up until around 35. And, and it wasn't until uh, my brother you know, just out of the blue actually took his life. And that that was a really, I always said that I lived in the shadow of my brother Dino. And you know, he was that guy that everyone called, his nickname was Gold, to give you an example. You know what I mean? He had all the looks, the talent. Academically, he was he was about as great as they come. And I always kind of had the left leftover genetics. I'm not afraid to say that because that's kind of how I was. So I always stayed in his shadow. And it wasn't until he took his life, Kim, that then my shadow was gone, then I was exposed. And that was a time in my life when, when I had no option but to stand up. And, and, and from that moment, I went on to, you know, change careers and to be a trainer and then had this extra belief in myself when I set up a business body by Leon. And then I sort of took things a little bit further. Then I, I started working with people that were, you know, were, were, were struggling with their own anxiety and their own mental illness. And I seemed to be a magnet for these individuals. I think maybe because of my personality, um, plus they all they knew my background with my brother Dean taking his life. 
And then all of a sudden I realized that I had a little bit of a, a connection with people and people were actually listening to what I was saying. And I used to give people space and give their own time to, you know, express how they were sort of feeling. And then I started changing lives just, you know, at ease. And it almost become naturally. And then, then unfortunately, I lost another couple of clients to suicide not long after that. And that was uh, extra challenging. So these are the times in life where I realised that, you know, I really needed to stand up as challenging as life was getting. I, I guess I had this automatic thought of going, okay, life is tough at the moment. What do I need to make it better? How do I need to move forward? And I used to come up with all these little methods myself that I that I talk about today on self-care and, and how to manage grief and how to overcome adversity. To be quite honest, these things kind of came naturally to me and I didn't realise I guess it's a gift from God that I had that kind of gift there. It wasn't until my brother passed that it that kind of life started, you know, dropping Leon down to find out who it was actually destined to be. And then things have sort of gone on from there. Then I had this start this belief that I could really impact on people. Then then I went on further to start studying, you know, counseling on top of just being a coach. And then I and then I studied to be a nutritionist. And then all of a sudden I wrote my first book. And then I've got my second book about to come out. There's a documentary coming out as well. I built a gym house that, that I work with people with mental illness. I realized that the world needed Kim a, a safe place, a, a place where people can come with no judgment and just be themselves. So, so I've just been going nonstop for nine years. I've just been running on absolute, you know, just love of life and giving back to people, which kind of charges me up. So so here we are today, you know, chatting to yourself, Kim. I've just, um, I have that much energy and love to give and it's just sort of radiating around people around me so they can all, all of a sudden, you know, be who I am and do the same sort of thing. So it's a, it's a great domino effect of, you know, of happiness and joyfulness is what I'm trying to spread around. Yeah, and you do it beautifully and you have such a remarkable energy and you're fit, you're healthy, you you ooze this energy that all of us want to tap into and plug into and get a piece of. But do you mind if I just go back a little bit? Um, mm. You know, it's, it's very easy, well, maybe not easy, but it, it becomes easier to talk about the loss of a sibling as, as time goes on. But I can only imagine you know, in your book, you said that you were sitting at the pub with him having a beer and he actually told you he was going to take his life. Could you just talk to us a little bit about this? Because I think in this day and age, we are all, you know, there's a lot of people struggling, particularly with the pandemic and isolation and the distancing and all of the things that are happening. It seems to be really playing on people's mental health. Would you agree with that? And secondly, talk to us how you felt through that process, because that was quite pivotal for you. Yeah, that, that moment I, I relive, to be very honest, I relive it daily because my actions when when Dino, he mumbled them words, you know, the, the guy that you think is almost invincible, which is the first indication of people to go, you know, suicide doesn't discriminate. It can happen with any age, any height, weight, race. That doesn't really matter, any gender. So I, I didn't understand how this guy that was as good as bulletproof could, could mumble them words. And, and, and my, so my response was, do I take this seriously? Is he, is he you know, does he just want attention or is he, I didn't really know how to respond. And my, unfortunately, my response was, you know, was not the response that I should have. I've just been un, very uneducated on mental health back then nine years ago. So my reply to him was, why don't you just go and see someone? And, and, and while some people might think that's okay, he took his life just after that. And, and what I really should have done in that circumstance was taken the whole scenario pretty seriously and actually got him to 
you know, maybe talk about the reasons what he's actually feeling, what's he, what's he, what's he trying to express to me and give him space just to listen uh, for myself to listen to him. And that would have been the one thing that I should have done, but I kind of brushed the whole conversation because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if he was serious. Like him in that circumstance for anyone, you know, to learn from my mistakes that, you know, I should have given him the space to just have that conversation. And that conversation is the starting pivotal point for anyone to move forward. And by having that conversation, that that vulnerability that being showed at that moment was an inkling for me that I kind of missed. So what we want to do moving forward as friends, you know, husband, wife, um, siblings, we want to just give that person space, let them talk, find out what's going on. And, and by having that one conversation, then we can get an action plan in place. Then we go, okay, do we need to go? see your GP, get a mental health plan in place, or just start the process moving forward. Do we need to bring a community in to help him, you know, get friends and, and people to check on him? That's probably what we should have done, but I, but I left it into his own hands. I just go, just go ring a counsellor and you should be okay. That wasn't enough. Although, at, you know, at the time I thought that was the right thing to do, but it was kind of my way of brushing the whole conversation. So, so definitely take, you know, Take it seriously and don't think people are just reaching out for attention. That's the worst thing you can actually think. You need to take every scenario, you know, seriously. And if you are with a friend and you are and you really fear for someone's well-being, sometimes you just also Kim have to bring triple O. There's if if you, if you feel that you're going to leave that conversation and you feel that your intuition or your heart says, I, I fear for this this person this afternoon, this evening, definitely just ring triple O. And you know what, your friend's not going to like that. Uh, whoever the individual is, they're not going to like it one, one little bit and you're not going to be very popular with them. But, you know, you're better off having an alive friend that doesn't like you temporarily than having a friend that's not here anymore. It's a tricky one though, isn't it? Because mm. everybody's different. Every scenario is different. And I can imagine for some people it would be very hard in that space to actually say what's on your mind. I've spoken to a number of people recently and when I say, can you tell me what the problem is? Can you talk to me a little bit about what actually is it? And the words that I often hear are, look, I really don't know. I don't know how to articulate it or they don't know how to say it. I don't know. I actually don't know what it is. So I guess it's a two-way thing, isn't it, that you want to give them, I think what I heard from you is to give them the space and to perhaps keep tapping them until they do find a way to say it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? Most of the time, of course, my people won't know why they're in that situation and, and they're not to know because they're, it's kind of like they're caught in that black glass jar and, and they, you kind of can't see outside the square. So, so from, the, from that moment, it's, it's you, you, being a friend that's, or anyone who, who's the listener, you just understand it's not your job to know what to say. It's not your job to know, you know, to have all the answers. But what it is our job to know is where can we refer these individuals? How can we get a plan in place? And sometimes that's all we need to know. You know, not everyone has to be up to speed with, you know, mental health and counselling and therapy and psychology. But I think just for the average person that's, that, that fears for their friend, sometimes it's just, you know, getting the plan in place and let the professionals manage that situation. They're the ones that will get the plan in place. So you're kind of the middleman to be able just to get start the ball rolling for these people and sometimes they don't want help they don't want to go to the doctor and stuff like that so that's you get a little bit tricky those scenarios too but there's a time that you know as, as the other listener you can only do as much as you can possibly do it really it is really up to the other individual that if it's like a two-way street both parties 
they've got to come to some agreement and say, yes, let, let's manage this. I've been in many situations where, you know, where the individual is like, I'm not going to doctors. I've been there. I don't want to go. I'm sick of speaking to everyone. And you're going to get them scenarios as well. And, and sometimes it's, you know, maybe that specific moment, things just aren't going to progress on that day, but it's definitely worth following up the next day. And, and, and sometimes you'll find that they're probably not sleeping well. And if someone can't sleep well, obviously their, their decision-making and how they're feeling is going to impact on that decision. So sometimes I've had to work out as, as far as going, you know what, let's get to the GP and let's get you some sleeping aids for the meantime. Let's just get you to sleep. And sometimes by doing that, they're resting their mind that then we can actually have the conversation again to be able to move forward. I just got in the exact same scenario where a guy hadn't slept for three weeks. He hadn't left his room for three weeks. First thing I'd done was got into the GP, get him some sleeping aids. He had slept for four days, as good as. And now further on, he's got a mental health plan in place. He's seen the GP, he's seen a psychiatrist. So we had to sort of take a different angle, Kim, to that approach. And that one actually works most of the time. So it's usually when anyone's tired, they're going to be snappy, moody, grumpy, irritable. But when you when someone's going through that darkness, you know, no matter what you say, the answer is just going to be no, 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 don't be there, no, knock on a medication. They're just going to block it all out. So it's sometimes you just got to persist and just not give up on people. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, as 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 bystanders and listeners and friends, is that sometimes we just got to persist and keep checking up on people. And um. And yeah, and, and just, just hopefully they'll take that next step. You know, it's, it's a tricky thing because, as you know, Danny's lost his sister to suicide mm. as well. And we actually did engage the help of professionals when his sister was not great. And, um, you know, no, there's no blame. And this is where I sometimes I think there's a universal thing at play where no matter what you say, do, think or feel, um, things are going to happen anyway. And our dear sister-in-law sadly was in the care of, of professionals and it still happened. So I just, yeah, I really want to reiterate what you said then, that none of us are trained necessarily to understand this. And even the professionals sometimes may not know what's the right thing to say or do. And therefore, I think it's a, it's what you said before. It's about the community. It's about caring. Ultimately, it comes down to caring and doing the best that we all can do and trusting that that person is in the right place, maybe not the right space, but the right place at the right time to get the help that you're suggesting. Would you would you say then, if you could go back, I mean, do you honestly believe from the heart of all hearts with the, the mindset and the beautiful, you know, lovely spirit that you have, do you believe you could have helped your brother Dino or do you actually think this was also a gift Gosh, that's a, it's a terrible thing to say, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. The, Absolutely. The, the gift yeah. of supporting you to find yourself, like maybe there's a bigger reason, a bigger cause, and I don't want to underestimate the loss of your brother in any way whatsoever, but do you understand what I'm saying here? Look, Kim, I, I, you know what, I, I'd agree 100% with you, and you know what, and, and I'll very, you know, I'll I, I be careful how I explain this situation to people too. Me being, you know, obviously the last three years I've, you know, just become born again and Christian, et cetera. And, and I do, you know, prior to that, I was unsure. But what, what I've seen in the last sort of three years, I've seen, you know, my, my ability to be able to help even more people um, as time goes on. I would work with around 80 people in any given week, to give you an example. Plus there's probably about another 
you know, 25 to 50 people that I'm mentoring and helping during the, obviously the course of the week to try to guide them in the situations which will help them. Uh, yes, I agree 100% with you that I, I don't think that, you know, what I would have said on that specific moment would have changed the outcome. Uh, Dean was very pig-headed in his own little way. He, he, he grew up not listening to anyone. And so I knew that, unfortunately, my words probably wouldn't have changed. We're, I, we're never going to know. But I look at where I've come and the impact that my life has had on, you know, a lot of individuals today. But I dare say there was a, you know, there, there, there was a reason I think God had this all set up. And, uh, I, and I, again, I, like you say, it's, it's a hard thing to even admit, but there, there is amazing and amazing goodness has come out of Dean's passing. So I, I come into my gym, there's pictures of Dino everywhere. And I thank him every day. And I thank him every day for somewhat, you know, sacrificing himself, so to speak, for me to be able to do what I've done on a bigger picture. So, yeah, I, I do I do agree with you. And I, I'm not sensitive to anything like this because I'm very open-minded. I, You know, I, I'm not sensitive to a lot of things, but I really... To me, to understand this, I've really got to do a lot. All my, when I talk about self-care, I've been talking about this for the last nine years, about doing things that, that build me up so strong so my cup is overflowing so I can give back to others because it's a very sensitive topic, you know, when we're talking suicide. So it's, it's not for everyone. And it, can, it can create a lot of triggers for people. But I have got myself in a position where I have these conversations daily and, it, and, and actually the more conversations I have, the more impact it's going to have on others. And it, so I'm looking at the great snowball effects since things passing that has had on. And there's been multiple clients as well that I've lost as well, um, which have actually made me such a better person. You know, I mean, from, you know, unfortunately not knowing the right things to do back when they passed as well. Yeah, I think it's it's an individual map and there's mm. some thoughts and spiritual beliefs that there's a certain number of breaths we take on this planet and depending on the choices we make and the the occurrences that we experience will depend on how that last breath is taken. And it's the only way I personally have got myself through understanding why does a two-year-old get leukemia and a 90-year-old yeah. who's drunk and smoke all their life just casually go to sleep one night and fall and, and, and leave this earth. So I, I do believe there's something bigger and I, I don't want to underplay this for anyone listening, but I do feel that do the best that you can is ultimately what I'm taking from you. Do absolutely everything that you feel is right. Talk mm. to me then about how you, you did say and mention that you did carry a, an amount of guilt, if that's the right word. And how did you get over that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who, you know, even if it's not suicide, but someone's not in their best place, we carry that, you know. And how do you yeah. think you can come up over the other side? Yeah, look, I, I guess if the, the, the immediate process of, you know, of grieving and, and guilt, et cetera, over, you know, not, not taking the right protocols at the time. Yeah, it took me a little bit. I was off work for about a month just to, you know, try and absorb exactly what went on. And then, and then after that point, there was a, I'm big on this five-second rule, which I've been talking about for years with clients that, you know, you've just got to make a decision. And there was a point after a month where I just go, you know what, the, the way I'm feeling now, I'm not feeling any better whatsoever. Something has to change. Something has to change. I'm not, not saying I'm not going to disregard the grieving period. Of course, I'm, that's in an, in an entire frame. There's no real time frame for that. But what I knew was I had to get some goals in place. I had to get some plans. I had to get an action plan. I needed to get some routine and some rituals back into place immediately. I needed to just get back into the gym. I needed to get back to eating, you know, doing all the things that I was doing prior that got me to a position where, you know, what would just got me through the day. 
So I needed to just go back and simplify my life, Kim. I wasn't going to change the outcome. You can't just brush it aside. What I needed to do was get some normality back into my life again. And I just went one day at a time, Kim, whereas, you know what, okay, cool. I'm I'm just going to get up at my normal time this morning and get up and shower and brush my teeth and and then I'm going to start going to work. I just wanted to try to get some sort of routine back. That was goal number one. And, And while that sounds so simple, anyone will know when you're going through challenges and mental health, concerns and when you start losing that routine you know you, you kind of get a little bit scattered and that's very very hard to get that routine so it's sometimes it's just one thing at a time just make one improvement every single day and if it means I went to the gym for only 20 minutes that's okay or even if I just went to the gym or even if I just went for a walk you know just to get a bit of nature I was utilizing all these little great things in, in our beautiful environment here on the sunshine Coast. but for me it was just doing one thing at a time I wasn't going to manage or or I I've or change the situation. So I wasn't there's no point having that fight in my mind. But what I could do is the only thing I can control at the moment was me. I can't control anything else. And I think that was the biggest turning point. Kim was going, okay, I need to control the controllables at the moment. And that's what I do every single day now. So I've just simplified that process and just gone day to day to day. And then as as sort of a month went on, you know, you, you don't forget what happened. Of course not. You don't it didn't change how I was feeling I still had the absolute guilt there but again I I couldn't control that so I just thought to myself I've just got to stay in my lane and just keep doing what's building me up and then another month sort of passed and I started thinking you know what what do I do now I need I need I need a good goal in place and that's what I went on to do I thought what do I do I love bodybuilding I've been doing it for 12 years up until that point so I decided to go on and to do a bodybuilding show a lot of people thought I was a little bit mad you know how I was going to focus on a bodybuilding show and nutrition etc and 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 I just thought to myself well in that sport, there's a there's a great routine and there's some great rituals and there's a purpose at the end. And at the time, sometimes I felt that I knew that, okay, I need to have a reason to get up every day now. And, and that's what I turned to, whether someone likes surfing, whether someone likes fishing, whether someone likes just their morning walk down the beach to watch the sunrise. It's just doing the little things again that you used to do that used to put a smile on your face. And it was just as simple as doing those things, Kim. And and then I went on and to, I obviously did the bodybuilding show and, and and bizarrely actually went on and won everything I did, which was quite remarkable. But what it also taught me was how strong a human being really can be, you know, when we're going through hardship and adversity and grieving. It just showed me that I just had to go back to the, the simple things in life, simplify my life, not overcomplicate anything, understand if I needed to grieve, grieve. You know, if I needed to talk, I talked. And I think the... Talking and having that conversation was the most important thing that I did. Not hold that guilt inside or not hold how you were feeling inside. Talking to your friends, your family, your peers, whoever it is, is probably the most the best thing you can do because the, the more vulnerable you become, it allows somewhere and it opens an opportunity for you to move forward. But if you carry that, you know, that weight of, you know, what the, the adversity inside you or you're carrying the, oh, that's, I guess, the, all the guilt within you, it builds and it builds and it builds. And then as the time goes on, it builds even more. Then all of a sudden, it's like you're carrying a 20-kilo weight around your, around your mind. And that's what makes people tired. And when we get tired, we actually – that makes the escalate, escalates, it makes it worse. So I knew straight off the bat, I guess if there was a gift from God, I guess my natural proactivity was to keep trying to move forward during that hardship. And that really, really worked. And it will work for anyone. It's just the time frame of doing that, it's uh, – look – it's really up to the individual and having a great support network around is vital. 
I think you bring up a really good point and I'd love to move into the space then of using our physical body to get through. I, I don't think there's enough conversation about how powerful it is when you're mentally struggling or exhausted or feeling incredibly vulnerable, how powerful movement and getting into nature is. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you found that and how you coach your 80 to 100 people that you're seeing each week? How are you supporting them to use their body as the tool, the anchor and the rite of passage to support their mental health? Yeah, definitely, Kim, because if you look at, you know, when we're moving endorphins, you know, you're, really, you're releasing endorphins, you're re- releasing other hormones called, you know, dopamine and serotonin. They're just naturally, cut a long story short, they just feel good hormones. You can't get them unless you move. So, so by being very sedatory during challenging times, there is no happiness coming your way whatsoever. And there's no joyful coming your way whatsoever. So sometimes it's just like I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's just a walk. Sometimes it's about walking to the end of the street and back, but that's the starting blocks to moving forward. So what I learned from myself was the power of, of exercise and moving post-grieving and adversity. It was very, very challenging. It wasn't easy to make that first step. But like I mentioned, you know, day one might have been just going to the gym and going on the treadmill, just walking there for five, 10 minutes and getting out of there. But it started the was the start of some sort of momentum and it was the start of getting a routine back in place. And what I realized was as the times and the weeks went on, I'd do a little bit more every day and I'd start to get those endorphins and that, that rush you get from exercising. And, and there's, there's no other natural way of getting it. It's like a, you know, an addict will, will take drugs to, to make it temporarily feel good. Well, I needed some sort of, you know, feel good moment as well. And, and the only way I knew to get it would naturally was through our hormones, through we training endorphins. And, and, and that's, that was the step moving forward. And, and as I kept building on that, then I started feeling that little bit better. My body started looking a little bit better. Then I started eating better because the better we feel, the better we're going to eat. And sometimes when you bring them, tie them in together, that means you're going to be drinking less alcohol, et cetera, you know, or, or taking drugs if someone turns down that road during hardship. So the, the start of the exercise has started moving, getting them hormones to start making you feel somewhat okay temporarily. You just keep building on that. And then and that was the process that I did. And, then I, and that's when I realized that well, this is actually pretty cool. And that's what I realized. But okay, cool. To take it another level, um, I need to actually build a gym. So I, that's why I went on just build a gym, which is that's a, it's a, it's a huge gym, which is only one-on-one. But the process of that was bringing these people that are very sedatory, that are finding it very hard to leave their room, I can actually get them off. And sometimes I'm not even training people in gym. Sometimes it's more just a conversation. And that's what they needed to have it at that moment. But as they're doing bits and pieces, they're doing more than they've ever done. So they're still getting that endorphin hit they feel great they walk out the door they've deloaded their mind there's no new information can be taken into anyone's mindset um, unless they can deload what's actually in there and this is the problem when people don't talk with mental illness once we sort of keep it keep it in there's no way any new information from anyone can can get in that mind that is the biggest thing that is why the importance of a conversation that's why i realized okay well people are training in my gym and and moving at the same time, and then talking, I've got all that bases covered. So I'm deloading their mind. I'm getting all the clutter out of their mind. And there's no judgment here. They can be vulnerable and they can get a little bit of endorphin hit because they're doing something as well. And it was just super powerful. And, and to be very honest, since I've built my gym, I haven't lost a client here. It was like where I'd lost four. I'll give you an example before I was in my own place. Amazing. And I think what you're doing is extraordinary, which is a beautiful segue into how we personally got to meet. 
the beautiful Megan Gill did a photography shoot and called it Portraits of Mankind. Danny was also one of the men she photographed. Your picture is amazing. And I just want to read what they said about you. So it says under Leon's name, the impact of losing his brother and two close clients to suicide within a short period of time was so great that Leon has dedicated his life to suicide prevention. After his brother's death nine years ago, Leon found himself at a crossroads with his own mental health. He has since become an advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention and actively coaches, counsels, and inspires others through his business, Body by Leon, and through book writing and publishing. Tell us how this platform has become such an incredible, uh, amazing space and place for people who are looking for somewhere to go and be healthy but vulnerable, also being able to talk and also being able to train. Tell us how you've built this and why it's become such an important part of your life. Yeah, Kim, thank you so much. Look, I, I think the, the the starting point was that was when if I had a – Go, go back when all these, when, when I lost them two clients to suicide, that was the breaking point for me because I, I was still sort of grieving from Dean. And in that moment, I, again, I, I just, when I sort of moved forward from that, I just went back to the same protocols as sort of following Dean. And then, and then I, I'd, I'd kind of, people would ask me questions about, you know, the, the passing of my clients and Dean and, and I would openly answer the question. And as I would actually have that conversation with the individual, what I started realising was this isn't just happening to you know, to me, or this isn't just happening around me. This is happening everywhere. And this is happening globally. To give you an idea, as we know, the suicide has, on the, on the Sunshine case, is 9% higher than any other town in the country, which is staggering. So that's the moment where I've gone, you know what? As challenging as this, I need to stand up and I need to do what my brother used to do. He was the king. He was gold. They called him. I want, I want to do that and some. And I said, but I need to be stronger. I need to be stronger than this. And that's what I started going. When people ask me questions, I would answer very open and honestly. And I realized that I had a couple of answers to it that everyone was sort of saying. And then one day someone said, why don't you write a book? And I said, you're serious? I don't even know how to write. Properly. I can't even spell him, let alone write a book. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? I wonder if I tell my story and I wonder what people will think. So anyway, so I spent 18 months writing this book and I had a lovely editor. Um, and we put And we put this, book together and and when I read it from start to finish I'm like that's a crazy story and there's actually about 30 pages that I had to take out of it because of you know legal reasons and to protect people because there's a lot of heavy stuff in there but when I when I first gave this book to a few friends to read they they come back and they said Leon that was I'm blown away I don't I don't even they didn't even know what to say but they said the vulnerability in that book you just you just gave me something that I didn't have before I said the strength that you have just to put all your life into that book and then share it. And that's what I started realizing these, and I gave it to a lot of critics and I was expecting to be very criticized. I was actually so nervous and so anxious on edge about giving it out, but everything come back with hugs and cuddles. And they're like people, the people like Leon, that's like blows my mind. Thank you for sharing that. I, I had no idea you were going through that. And yet you're so strong. And that's when I started realizing that the power of being vulnerable and this was about a four-year, three, about three and a half years ago, and I started realizing, wow, okay, cool. So maybe I'll start telling my story even more. Then all of a sudden, then you know, the book got out a little bit further. Then all of a sudden, a couple of places wanted me to do some speaking, speaking gigs. So I started t- telling the story as well, and and but not so much telling the story. I I, I wanted to more talk to people how to overcome their adversity. I thought that was more important, so I brushed over the story. But people were sort of getting intrigued and. 
And then that just become the norm that I started talking about it more than other people started talking about it more than I do a I do a chat and then or I do a podcast and so on and so on and come up and say, oh yeah, my such and such, or I lost my friend, or this and that. Even just recently, him, I was just talking to Glasshouse Mountain School. And after the conversation, which was somewhat a little bit heavy in its own little way, one of the young kids come up, the most quietest guy at the back of the room, come up and said, Oh, good day, Leon. I just I gave him a book because he put his hand up and asked a question. So I said, buddy, because you put your hand up and you're courageous because you put your hand up, no one wanted to put your hand up. Here's a free book. Anyway, he, he, at the end of the thing, he goes, look, look, Leon, I, I, sorry, I didn't listen to you for the rest of the talk because I was intrigued in your book. He goes, I, I've already got, you know, into page 15 of your book. And he goes, I just want to let you know that I lost my best friend to suicide three weeks ago. And I didn't think anyone knew how I felt. I don't know what to do. But the start of your book has helped me already. And, and that's when I started realising the, the power of talking and opening up and being vulnerable. And it's, it's something that I, I just want to just instill that message into people that moving forward, all I've done is express, you know, that you, you can be vulnerable because that is the first step moving forward. And, and that's all I've really done. And everything kind of branched on from that. And once you become vulnerable, it's like a confession. Kim, it's like if someone's committed a crime and they confess, it's like this weight is off their shoulders. Vulnerable, being vulnerable is the same sort of here. And, and, that, and that's where I realised, wow, that was super powerful. And I was getting very excited that people were getting impacted on the book. And that's when I just started going, okay, I need to be better. I need to even be, my mindset needs to be, be even stronger. So that's when I'd, I'd go on, I'd start studying, I'd start learning more. I did more self-care and, I, and then I had a goal to have the strongest mindset in Queensland. That was actually my goal today. And, and, I, and I've just built on it every single day. So it's just got stronger and stronger. And the bigger my mindset gets, the more I talk, the more energy I have to give. I've just spent Kim, the whole weekend free counselling for, for people because obviously the toughness during most of the, the, the country now at the moment was in lockdown. So I've just been doing free counselling. You know, I've just spent about 24 hours of my time free giving to people. And I've come in this morning, fresh as a daisy, ready to rock and roll. So when your glass is full, you've got endless energy to give. And that's when I realised that I've just got to keep trying to, you know, build myself up even more. And I get excited doing that because then the more love I've sort of got to give to everyone else. But it all started from being vulnerable. And the power of that is incredible. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, too, the, the most extraordinary thing of, of anyone's story is, is kind of we are drawn into the story, the drama, the, the, the challenge that people face. I mean, this is how big major movies are made. But I think the part that's so compelling is the rise up and out and over and up again. And I think that's the part that is so sad when it comes to people's depression or loss of life or et cetera, is realizing that there actually is a way up, out, over, and through. If someone was listening to this who had someone they were worried about or they themselves weren't feeling so great, would you, could you give us your top steps as to what you would do to put into action yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I love to give examples because sometimes it's easier when you give real life examples to people, you know, as opposed to just giving, you know, information based on statistics or study and research. This is what's worked really, really well for myself. And I had a young guy that put something on Facebook on Thursday uh, that he was really struggling. Um, he, he didn't know how to cope through COVID and was saying how bad it is having depression during COVID. Now, he got incredible support. And I read, I read everything. He did. There must have been about 50 comments there, which would have been fantastic for himself. But I went one step further and I inboxed him. 
and 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 I and I asked this gentleman, I said, mate, how you going? I said, look, um, on Saturday morning, I'm going to be in my office, mate. How about, how about you bring a cup of coffees in? Let's have a bit of a chat. What do you reckon? I'll show you my gym around. So I'm, I'm not asking him to come in for a counseling session or therapy. I've actually dropped my therapist hat. I've just basically I'm treating him like a friend. And his post was enough for me to tell me that he's in trouble. And why everyone commented and said, oh, you're doing great. You're going to be okay. That's pretty much what everyone said. And I've just got, ah, oh, no, everyone, epic failure. Uh, great comments, but no one actually reached out to him directly. So I reached out to him directly. And, and sure enough, he, he agreed. He goes, yeah, okay, cool. He, he, he said it was super anxious to come. He said, ah, no, mate, I'll show you some really cool things I've got in my gym here, you know. And, and he turned up. And he was here for about an hour and a half. But we just had, I didn't put a therapy hat on. I just, I was just a friend. I was just a mate. And we just had a conversation. I just sort of let him talk. And, and that point there was, I got him just to have a conversation with me. And then I kind of found out where he was. Has he got a plan in place? What we can do from then on? So I kind of indirectly, I just went straight to the straight to him and just organized a little conversation. And so, you know, whether someone uses the coffee shop or let's go for a walk down the beach, it's a beautiful day, let's get out and about. And, but don't ask someone because that gives them an opportunity to say no. So I told this gentleman, hey, man, come see me. I'm going to be here Saturday morning. So it was basically like a closed statement. He didn't get a chance to, you know, he want to ask an, an open question where he has an opportunity to say yes or no or I'm busy. I sort of said, come see me. And he, and he goes, okay, that was a small reply. So try, trying to be proactive in that motion and, and, and never ask someone because when you ask someone, oh, do you want to go for a walk? Nah, that's okay. Okay, no worries. Well, let me know if you want to. That's the normal conversation someone will have. And most of these individuals don't want to be a burden. So there's no point asking them to do something because they don't want to put anyone else out. We've got to love them. But I think just being a little bit proactive and just going, let's get out and about or meet you for a coffee. Hey, I'll see you at 10 o'clock. You're free then. And just make stuff happen. And that's what I've realised that we've got to do. And even if we're tired or we're busy ourselves, sometimes we, we that's 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 irrespect. You've got to put that aside. You've got to get that person out of the house. And sometimes it's just you don't have to know what to say. You, all you've got to do is just be there and you'll be able to listen to that person enough to understand where they're at. And then you can kind of, if you don't know what to do, then you can go and report or talk to a friend or a nurse or someone that might have some advice for you to give. But these days you can... You can ring helplines, you know, you can ring Beyond Blue and, and what do I do? I've got this friend that said X, Y, Z, and then they'll give you details to follow. There's, there is help around. There's the Suicide Alliance, you know, that are doing research, but they also have connections and they're running courses as well for people to do that can get you trained up when you don't know what to say when, you're, when your friends are, you know, potentially in, in, in some darkness. So but the, the biggest thing, Kim, is trying to get in some contact with that person or go to their home. Go to the home. You know, that's sometimes that's what you're going to do. And, um, but not don't, but don't just leave it. Don't just say or let them say, no, I've got, it's okay. I'm fine. We know they're not fine. And, and I've done that before. And unfortunately, someone's taken, a client has taken their life because I just took their word for, oh, yeah, he'll be right. No worries, buddy. I'll, well, next time you want to catch up, just let me know. They're not going to let me know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's really wise words. And I'm also really grateful you mentioned things like Lifeline and Beyond Blue because mm. there is support for those of us supporting. And sometimes it's the supporter that forgets to look after themselves as well. And I think the only way we can help others is also by helping ourselves. So maybe don't forget that one. And sometimes it's good to go to people like Leon <laughs> and go to the gym and do things like that. So you do have the tools in your repertoire so that you are supporting the people that you love as well. 
Talk to me about the most thing you love most about the portraits of mankind. What do you think that whole exhibition explained to us a little bit about what it was and what you got from that, apart from meeting my delicious husband? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that, there's a highlight. Danny Morrison, obviously, I'm a big cricket fan, I'm a big sports lover, to be honest. But I always just think that dude's just like the best bowler ever. He's just like the, the fastest, he had a sort of like unique style. So, yes, so that aside, all, I've seen a whole heap of vulnerability there. Back to my word, vulnerability. I've seen a whole heap of men that weren't afraid to speak up. They've all been through their own challenges and they found the courage at that specific point to reach out. Now, there's a reason why everyone there is still alive because they reached out and had that conversation. Hadn't they not reached out and had that conversation, you know, there may have been a few people that probably weren't going to be in those portraits there. And um, and that's probably the biggest thing I took away. And when, when, when Megan, I think we first done mine maybe about two and a half years or three years ago. So she got me at it actually at a real critical stage, to be honest, and I didn't know where she was going with it. But all of a sudden, but what I did say was, Megan, this is incredible. I don't know what the outcome is going to be at this point in time. But but when she showed me the photo, she goes, oh, God, I, I look like I'm broken in that photo. And, um, and I thought to myself, actually, I am. <laughs> actually, I was. So the photo showed actually how I was really feeling at the time. So I was vulnerable. And it was, it was at that time where I started openly chatting about things and that as well. So she actually made me, believe it or not, you know, re- really take another step forward about encouraging, you know, not just men, anyone to have that conversation. And I know I've said that a couple of times, though it, it is the critical starting point of anyone. And Dean didn't have that conversation at all. No one knew because we only spoke to him, you know, he'd only ring me a quarter to eight every night before the footy but he'd already have six beers. So we sounded amazing. He didn't, I didn't even question whether he was going through darkness. It wasn't until I caught him on a, on a very, very sober down day. He was vulnerable for that moment, but unfortunately he already had a plan and his mind was made up. That yeah. It's the vulnerability, I think, uh, in that room. Uh, and I felt courageous. I just felt there was courage in that room and, um, and everyone was, no, no one was afraid to, state who they were or who they who they were or who they had been or what they were going through. It was just an, it was a room of honesty. That's the probably biggest word I can add to that. You talk about vulnerability as being such a key part of our story and not one person doesn't go through life without adversity. So vulnerability, this this message is for everybody, no matter where we're at in our mental health or in our life story, this message of being brave, vulnerable, courageous and having the conversations is what keeps us connected. And connection is one of the most important things of being a healthy, functioning human being. What do you think your definition of self-love is? Definition of self-love, I think there's a self-love, I, I, I talk about a lot within probably everywhere I go, every, every counselling session, every therapy session. There's, you know, you can't, you know, you can't love anyone the best you'd love to, if, you know, the, as much as you'd love to if you don't love yourself first. So I'm, all, I'll be, I'm big on, you know, the old saying about, you know, you, you, if the plane goes down, heaven bit unlocked. I don't like to use an analogy because I don't like flying. So the point being is that you need to look after yourself first. And, and I've been a big advocate myself for years and years and talking to people about really investing in yourself. So that's what I speak about to people about your mindset, you know, doing my gratitude and, and doing my therapy in the morning, doing my meditation and eating while I'm training and exercising, playing guitar and playing great music and soothing music. And this makes me feel good. I do this over and over and over and over every single day without fail. Groundhog Day, same time, everything's the same. 
And years out, year after year after doing that, it's made me mentally and psychologically so strong that it just provides me then endless love to give to other people. When you're a little bit empty, it's really hard to, one, love yourself, believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, let alone start loving someone else. So you look at marriages and stuff and, and, and relationships that may be a little bit rocky, you'll probably find there'll be something missing within an individual. Now, if I've got endless love to give for myself because I feel amazing, I'm really invested in myself, I go home and I have more love to give you know, to my wife. I have more love to give to my daughter. So the more I bring myself up, the more love I have to give. The more love I have to give to the guy on the street or the lady on the street or or the more love I have to give to you during this podcast, Jim. You have endless love to give. So I think it all starts within yourself. You've got to build yourself right up to the point where you have enough to give plus some. And I think that's it. But most people at the moment are walking around a little bit drained. Here's one for you, Kim, a simple conversation. Have a look when I, you know, whenever I message someone or email someone, I'll always acknowledge how they are, how you're going, hope you're well or whatever it might be. Whereas most people these days have got into a habit of just, you know, replying. And, and, and there's no love in that. It's, it's all, and that's kind of the way that's world and that, that's kind of expressing everywhere we go. And I can sense from people's messages and emails how they're actually doing. Look, gone are the days of people are saying at an email, hey, 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 man, how you going? Just blah, 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 blah. It's almost getting straight to the point. And that's becoming a bad habit for us. I think that losing with that love, that connection, you know what I mean? It's, it's just not there anymore. So I think everything's, when, when you're filling your, your glass up so strong and it's overflowing, you then have endless love to give. And that's would probably be my take on it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. You, you mentioned music in there. It's become quite a beautiful medicinal um, aspect and healing part of your life. Mm. How can music support people? If Even if we're not musical and we can't play the guitar, do you reckon it's still possible? <laughs> yeah, look, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's funny, right? Anyway, I, I, I train in here with every single morning, quarter, quarter to six with me and, me and three mates. Anyway, they're all love their heavy rock and heavy metal and good, and that's all good and well. The last kind of four months, I've got into an extra mellow time. I like I'm, I'm calm and relaxed at peace all the time, but I've gone another tier because I've really been stepping it up another tier because that's been my goal. And the boys will come in there after like 20 minutes of a session. They're like, man, can you put some, what's going on? They'll, they'll start bagging the music. And it's not too slow, but it's pretty cruisy, you know? And anyway, and, and then I said, yeah, and then I'll change it for them. And I'll say it, but I was talking about it just yesterday morning or Sunday morning. And I, and I said, have you boys noticed that you used, you all used to come in here tired on edge and you've all got run big businesses, you're all professionals, and you're always angry and you're always snapping and I'd say something and you get angry at certain things. And have you boys noticed how calm you all are? And they all looked at each self and they looked at each other and they said, actually, yeah. I said, you boys wouldn't even know, but I've been deliberately playing certain style music to release endorphins to make you actually feel good. And you boys have never been so relaxed in the last two years that we've all been training. And they have actually calmed down. And the, and the fact of reality is mu- music is soothing. Music is calming. And that whatever music it is, it's up to you. And sometimes that's my therapy. I don't like silence. I cannot handle silence. Kim. I'm, a, I'm a loud person. And, and I love to just sit down for 25 minutes in the morning with no one else around in my gym, which is the case. And I'll just play my cruising music, whether it's a bit of worship music, whether it's country music, it just depends on what type of genre. And actually, that releases endorphins for myself because it makes me feel good and, and music for me works. And, and music for most people works. Sometimes some people want to meditate with silence and that's fine as well to be present in the moment. It's just, it's really whatever technique works. And I find that 
my as I've got a bit softer in my heart in, as my older age, as I approach sort of 45, I just find that my music's getting a little bit more calming and soothing because it's working for me. I don't want to come in here and hear some heavy metal in my head at, you know, five o'clock in the morning. It's not going to set me off the way that I want to be set off. So I'm just finding exactly what works for me is going to be different to someone else, but just take the same sort of protocols and sort of mix it in with yourself. It's like there's no one diet that suits everyone. It's really what diet can you stick to and adhere to, which is going to get give you the best results possible and can fit within your lifestyle. So music is the same sort of thing. and You don't have to learn how to play guitar, but me, it's just, I don't, I don't even play that well. But it's something that I do that makes me sort of feel good as well. So, um, yeah, mu- music is very, very therapeutic. I love it. We had a scenario recently where one of our friends their daughter gave birth and, you know, it was pretty sad. She was without oxygen and she was put onto this, she was put onto a, what they call onto ice really, just to, to give her brain a rest to recover from the trauma of the birth. And anyway, we played the 528 megahertz love music and, you know, this little girl is just amazing. And I just, I, I personally think with sound healing and musical therapy, it's, it's been used throughout generations and, and generations. And it's something that maybe could be a little missing link along my love of aromatherapy which is the power of smell so i just think sometimes those little things can make a massive difference as well what can they do they do over and over and over again it's the little things when you're trying to build your mindset or overcome any adversity or any any challenges it's the little one percenters that you do over and over again which you which which you're going to make a difference you know moving forward and it's the one percenters that people leave out it's like having the alphabet without m or something you know what i mean it, yes. it, it, it can still get there but it, it's still it's not quite the same and and mindset if you want to build that mindset and overcome the challenges yeah you, you do have to have every link together it really does if you take out one link i know if i've missed you know i come in and work a little bit a different time on my routines out or my music's different or i come in later there's something there that's not quite there so that's why i'm very regimented in what it's not an ocd thing it's just that i found a great routine um you know to win a formula so why change it a sporting team would be the same yeah. if something's working don't change it <laughs> i also think it's great um because sometimes if you get if that's the key isn't it? if it's not working then look to some other thing to bring into it but if it's working keep going with it if you were a superhero, because you look like one, if you were a superhero, who would you be? Oh, I was, I was doing an interview and I got asked this question about a month ago and, and I, I've got no idea even why I answered this question because I had all these questions and I didn't want to know what they were going to ask me. They, they threw that one at me and I just thought, oh, um, and I come up with um, like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and they all started cracking themselves laughing. They're like, why would you say that? I said, well, fuck. Look at the look at the rig on them for starters. I said they've got these crazy six pack for starters. I said, you look at the energy they have. They're pretty cool. And look at the connections they have. They're always hanging out in a pack of four. And so anyway, so I, I come up with uh, and one of them's called Leonardo. My name's Leon. So I just thought uh, that was it, man. I don't know why, but that comes to my head. So I guess I'm going to answer the same way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You also happen to know an incredible human being, the amazing Stephen Bradbury. Yes. He describes you as a goer. Now, why does he describe you as a goer? I mean, we can tell by listening to you, you're a goer and you're certainly a doer. But talk to us a little bit about that connection and what you love so much about him. Yeah, I met Steve about 10 years ago. So before I asked him to endorse my book, God Love Him, he's a champion dude. He really, really is the most humble, humble guy you'll ever meet. 
I was working in his house one day and he had his brand new air conditioner. This was when I was a tradesman and I was known as like the guru with taken. I could just fix all the things that other people couldn't fix. Anyway, he, he had this brand new air conditioner that he spent, you know, a lot of money on and he couldn't get it running. And anyway, so I spent about three days there, you know, crawling around his health and around his house and painting all these parts. And and, and, he, and he's like, have you got to it yet? No, I don't know, buddy. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with that, but I'm not going to give up. And I'd stay there morning till late at night time and I'd come back the next day, the next day. And I just didn't stop. And he had all the energetics. He had everyone there and no one could fix that. And I stayed there an extra day and I fixed it. I said, dude, I found out what it was. Anyway, I told him what the problem was. And anyway, we ended up getting it sorted. And that moment, that's when he cried. He said, he goes, man, you didn't give up, did you? He said, no, Steve, I wasn't going home, mate. You're, you're, you're an Olympic champion, dude. I'm not going home until I fix your ethics. You know what I mean? And, um, and from that day, I guess that's where we find God. This guy was a, he just didn't stop. And then, and then after that, you know, we, we had a beer and we could become good mates. And we started, you know, he'd come up the coast and we'd surf together. And then I kind of hadn't spoken to him, you know, probably for about eight years or so. And then that's when I connected again with him regarding endorsing my um, the book, it's how you think. And then then he goes, oh, that's good timing because I've just got a new beer on tap. Do you want to come down? So he had a local pub here on the Sunshine Coast. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll come down. And then we sat there and had a couple of beers together. It was actually really, really cool. He's just a really down-to-earth, humble guy. And um, but I guess that's where it all started. He didn't really know what I'd done, but he did read the book from start to finish which was really cool. And he was a bit blown away. He's gone, wow, man. He goes, I thought my book was good. You know, there's some, there's some great things in there that, that um, I guess that's where he got the word year ago. You, you, you basically persisted. You didn't stop. No matter how hard life got, you just sort of got up and rolled with the punches and kept going. And I think that's what sort of resonated with him in his own little way. That's how he got to be. You know, people might laugh and go, oh, he's, he, he's a, an unsung hero, so to speak. But if you actually look at Stephen's story, you know, he's a. He, there's times when he almost lost his life. He almost bled to death. He's had some hardship along the way, and um, and we kind of had different stories. The only thing is, I'm an amateur, and he's an Olympic champion. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he's a, he's so funny too. I love listening to him speak. He's a character. You know what? Well, the funniest thing was when I was there. I said, "Oh, Steve, can I see your gold medal?" I said, "Where is it?" He goes, "Oh, it's just downstairs in the cupboard." I'm like, the way that he talks, you know, I'm like, what do you mean it's in the cupboard? I know I would be having a train in the door and somewhere that's something you see when you first walk in the front door and he goes, ah, you know, it's just downstairs in the cupboard wrapped up in an old pillow, pillowcase, you know what I mean? And that, but that told me that the humbleness of him, and this was, you know, he only won that medal not long before, you know, and I just thought that was, just said a lot about who he was, just a real grounded top of a guy. He's so gorgeous. I love it. And I love the fact that you just happened to be the technician that happened to fix his aircon. I love it. I love it. Yeah, go, go figure. So it was, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Really okay. cool. Look, we're coming to the close, but I just, I just want to say to you, you know, the work that you're doing in mental health with as part of the Alliance for Suicide Prevention, do you want to give them a little plug? Yeah, they, they do. A, it's funny when they, they built their facility around three years ago. And, and it's funny how it all unfolded because they built this facility and a couple of the general managers there, Elise Gion at the time, and I was with another lady, Dr. Amanda Clasey, and, and one of the students doing a PhD. And they come into my gym and they said, Leon, we know you're in the mental health world. We've got this amazing facility, but we're kind of unsure what we're going to do about it yet. We've got ideas. And they said, can you tell us what it's really like on the field? Because I'm in the front line of what, what goes on. Well, we spent three hours chatting about what actually I told him what I, what I'm what I'm seeing every single day, and we have a pandemic of mental health. I don't care what anyone says; that's the fact of reality. 
and they, I was telling them stuff that were they were more research based, but hadn't got the specific data based on what's actually going in the real world on the Sunshine Coast. And we had like a three hour conversation. I think I spoke for about two hours and fifty nine minutes of it, but they were just intrigued with what I'd seen and what I'd gone through. And and they took all that information and they went over to the alliance and they just built this amazing facility, which now I guess the it's changed over the last few years, but now it's pretty much just a research center. So they're getting all the data and, and working out how can they come up with maybe new medications and a new way of treating people regarding mental illness. So they're, they're doing a, some great things behind the scenes. That a lot of stuff obviously goes unseen because they're, you know, they're, they're obviously they work pretty hard over there. They work long days, long nights to try to, you know, change what's been happening at the moment. We also need a lot of people on the front line as well, Kim. There also needs to be people, you know, I say myself, but there also needs to be many, many more of myself. There's there's a lot of psychologists and counsellors that are doing just a remarkable job. They really are. And and while some people think that, you know, that they are, they're, they're doing an incredible job and they're, they're, they're so busy. It's not funny. There they just needs to be also people, you know, trained up on the front, like, 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 like the army. You've got to have the ground, the ground troops in there, get their hands dirty and directing people to these therapists. That's the biggest thing that's got to happen. But it all starts with having, you know, everyone working on the, the ones that have the ability to work on their mindset to, to actually build that mindset so strong that they can see signs and symptoms because there's a lot of signs and symptoms, Kim, around us at the moment that a lot of us are missing. But I think that's the biggest and the most important thing that I've noticed that I talk to a lot of businesses about the signs and symptoms of mental health. How, how do you actually know if someone's going through a challenging time? And that's the biggest thing that I learned myself because I can see someone when they walk in my door. I know I can tell by their body language, their posture, where their eye contact, their their response, and um, their words. You can actually see straight away where a person is and you can feel that energy. And then I work out, do I need to actually train this person today or are we, are we sort of more here for the therapy side of it? So I think that's out, out in the community. This is what we need to be aware about. There's a lot of signs in front of us. And, um, and most of us are, are uneducated on them signs and symptoms. And a lot of the time we're going to miss them also because if our frame of, our frame of mind is not in an amazing position, we're not really going to be able to see what's really going on in front of us. So that, that's the biggest thing I talk about me. My goal number one is just to have my mindset so strong so I can see from afar who needs help and who doesn't because not everyone's going to reach out. Sometimes it's up to me to be proactive and try to, you know, take the steps and the initiative, kind of like I did with this young fellow that put something on Facebook. It was the same sort of thing. No one really went that next tier on you straight away. We need to take action with this, you know what I mean, because the sign was right in front of me. And if you end up scro- then I scrolled down through his Facebook to be able to see lots of signs there that everyone missed and people didn't even comment on. And I'm going, and let's say he passed for some reason, you know, people will say, oh, gee, I didn't see that one coming. Actually, yeah, actually, yes, we did. He, he gave us about 15 signs and we all missed it. Oh, that's you huge, know, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. So I, you know, it's something that I, I, I look, I, I just want to be able to talk to people about signs and symptoms even more, which is going to be a goal of mine because I think that's the most critical stage and um, and that starts with ourselves. though. It starts the, with ourselves. Well, that's true. Well, what's the problem with the Sunshine Coast? It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Why do you think there's a problem here nine times higher? Yeah, look, it's 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 a, we're we're at a place here that I, I, the Central Coast is very disconnected. It's a it's very clucky. There's sort of, there's like a group within a group, but you'll find a lot, a lot of people move to the Sunshine Coast, but they're actually just moving, you know, here for the lifestyle to maybe you know change that change their existing lifestyle because things aren't working or they're going through their own challenges. 
or they might have split up with a loved one and they've, they've moved here to start again. But all they've done is brought their own, they haven't worked on themselves, so they're, they're just bringing their own anxiety here and their own depressed mindset here or depression. So therefore, when you've got anxiety, it's very hard for someone to become connected to the community because the anxiety is going to stop them from, you know, getting out of the community, so to speak. So they become, they move here with probably less friends. So they become even more isolated. So the chances of connecting on the Sunshine Coast, it's very difficult because there's so many people here that have come from, say, Sydney, Melbourne, and from a farm and trying to start again, but they've, they've moved here without family or friends around. And if they've moved here with some sort of anxiety, it's very hard for them to connect into the community. So you, you'll see, I see on the coast here when we have events on, you'll see roughly the same people over and over again. And, 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 that, and that's because they've built that connection within there. But outside that, you won't see too many other people attend these areas because it's, um, yeah, the community is just so disconnected. Uh, people are moving here for that new lifestyle, but unfortunately they haven't you know, been able to, you know, deal with the current situations they're going through. And, and it, it really breaks my heart. And that's why, Again, I'm, I'm trying to look from the outside looking in and being, being up to scratch with looking out for signs and symptoms to be proactive on it. Because if we don't be proactive, we all just carry on with our lives. We've got, the suicide rate's not going to change. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. And I'm sure everything you've said would absolutely sit very comfortably in any place right now. We are in the strangest and most challenging of times. And I do believe that the work you're doing is needed more than ever. As we come to the close of our beautiful podcast, I just want to say that one of the things I loved, um, the last part of your book, what you said, I just want to read this. I try not to let the mistakes of my past haunt me. Instead, I try to take the lessons I have learned to make me a better person and to help those around me. We are all in this together. As humans, it's our job to keep each other alive. So that is what I plan to do. As long as my heart is beating, I'll be here fighting hard to help others, to keep my mental health strong and to spread awareness about the suicide epidemic in our society. And maybe when I breathe my last breath, the world will be a better place. I got very emotional reading that. And I just, I just want to say to you that this beautiful book, It's How You Think, is a really cool, easy book. And I'd like to say that I'd recommend this to anybody that is even slightly challenged with the word, the world right now, or feeling a little bit fearful of what's happening or what our future looks like. And, you know, ultimately, I'll say it again and again, love is always the greater champion and can always outwin fear as long as we believe it. What are your final words to this beautiful audience? And perhaps you could leave us with your quote, your favorite quote. Yeah, my, my, my favourite quote, I've, I've had many, many shirts that I've made up, even body by land ones, and I, and I keep putting the same quote on there, be kind, it's free. And, and it just, and just, that just resonates with me so much. And, you know, we're in a place where there's probably not as much kindness, you know, on the planet as we like at the moment. And there's something I tell free, there's some things that are not, 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 not too many things in this life came are free. Needs and nothing. Actually, a lot of my counselling services are free. And, but I, and I always thought that just be kind, it's free. It just, it just sits with me and I just tell people, look, it's not hard to be kind. It takes nothing away, you know, from yourself, but just to give to others. And, and that would be the, 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 the biggest message there in relation to a quote. The biggest tip I can give to people is, please, I, I just if, if you could just listen to this 30 seconds, I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of highly suicide people come into my gym. 
of hundreds, Kim. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people now live an amazing quality of life. I, I have seen it time and time again. And, and most of the time people, you know, will find that very hard to, you know, believe that or understand that when they're going through that darkness. And I know people will say things get better and they're cliche words, but think things things will get better. They can get better with the required help and support around you. The support is everywhere. We are, we are blessed to be on the coast in the community. There is a lot of help around. So, so I would definitely say to people, just, you know, just please just, just reach out. And, and if it's to myself, that's the starting point. Um, you can find me anywhere. You can find my website, Body by Leon. You can find me on Facebook. I live on Facebook message because I'm always communicating with people. Leon Stenson, you can find me there. And, and I'm always going to be that person that will you send a message, I will reply. And if I haven't got the answers that you need, I will find the answer for you. And it's just, just I just want people to try not to ever lose that word faith. And people say faith, okay, what does it actually mean? Faith is having the ability to know that, you know, that everything is going to be okay, even though you can't see it at the moment. And people are losing that faith at the moment. Once we've lost that, you have basically told yourself there is no way you're going to get better. Faith is free. Faith is one thing that you can always hang on to, Kim, and that's the one thing I hang on to every single day. If I hang on to that, even though times are difficult at the moment or at a certain certain time, if I hang on to that faith going, you know, it's not cool at the moment, but you know what? It's going to be okay. And genuinely things will come out the other end. But if you lose that faith, you've pretty much ridden yourself off. And um, faith is free as well. I love it. I love you lots. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful that I got to meet you finally in person at a beautiful exhibition called portraits of mankind by megan gill where i will also post that link into the show notes so that people can have a look at these incredible men and the images and their stories and i I was in tears on that day listening to the people that we that were up on that uh, platform it was just an amazing space and the photos just oh i I love photo photography anyway but the photos of you and Danny and Jamar and all of the people that were there were just, it was pretty extraordinary, wasn't it? It was, it was just, just incredible. And, and before we go to Kim, how are you doing, Kim? Oh, you're a darling, aren't you? I am so great. I'm very, very blessed to be doing this work. You know, the other thing I'd add where I think sometimes the days that it's challenging or when fear creeps in or you don't think you're good enough or what have I got to offer, all of those questions, I dare say they come up for every single person you ever meet. But I think the thing for me is by doing the work I do, which is all about providing you know, this, this podcast, my beautiful self-love and wellness mentorship program, my one-on-one coaching and mentoring, plus providing beautiful oils and just trying to do my best to give my most to everybody that reaches out to me and I think that's why I love I've been podcasting now for nearly nine years and this is my new show and I just you know we're coming up to the hundredth or by the time this goes to air we would have had our hundredth show and I just feel really proud to, to be part of that and you know what Leon it actually keeps me accountable to myself by training and by doing the work it keeps me accountable. So how could I possibly give advice or share a podcast called the self-love and wellness mentorship group or podcast if I didn't do it myself? And I guess for me, my audience, my tribe, my followers and my community, people like yourself, if I can show up and be half the person of someone like you, then I feel I'm doing my job. So yeah, I'm great. Thank you. 
That's incredible. Thanks for answering that. That's again, that's the next level answer. That's amazing. And how how amazing is it, Kim, to knowing that you can give back to others? Doesn't that just fill you up as it is? Totally. Which is why someone said to me, "Do you make any money off your podcast?" <laughs> I've never, I've never thought about the podcast making money, and I get blown away hearing that there's five thousand downloads, or if I hear someone incredible. reaches out to me personally, or you know, there is such a plethora of topics and beautiful and clever and academic and intellectual and heartfelt podcasts out there. Just to know that the person listening to this right now, I think if you and I could reach down the end of these microphones and hug them up, we both would. <laughs> I, look, I, absolutely. You know, five, six, seven years ago, when I was far from a hugger. You, would, you wouldn't see me hugging anyone. Now, again, when you talk about self-love and whatnot, you know, it, you, you just have that element of wanting to give to someone because you know everyone needs a hug. It doesn't matter who you are or how, how strong you think you are. Everyone needs a hug. I love that. I love it. Well, my dear friend, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege. And I really am looking forward to the next time we catch up. I still keep thinking, I'm not sure in my mid-50s if it's possible to get back on a bodybuilding stage again. Yes. Um, I did it many yeah. years ago. And I'm I keep going. Yes. I'm just going to yes, yes. I, I put a lady that was 71 what? and Mary, Mary on stage about two years ago. And she was the most leanest lady, shredded lady I've ever seen in my life. Pat's a client of mine. He won, he won his first world title when he was 67, and he's coming back next year to do his uh, 70. He'll be 70. He's coming back to compete. Absolutely. And Johnny, my best mate that just passed away, unfortunately, he was 64 and in pristine condition, better condition at 64 than he was in 54. And he was a lead athlete playing AFL. So, yes, 100%, Kim. I've, I've just gone taking any fear down out of your mind, 100%. Yes, yes, yes. I think yes for me. I love it. I love it. Just finally, if someone wanted to get a copy of your book, it's How You Think, the uncut version. How do we get a hold of that? Yes, yeah, so you can pretty much go anywhere these days. You can go, you can get it on Amazon. You can actually, the probably the simplest way is just go straight from my website. I can send it out to you, give you a signed copy that way. Just body by Leon, you'll see, you'll see all the links there. It's pretty simple. And um, that'd probably be the easiest way. You can actually, if you're, if you're on the coast, you can actually pick them up directly and Come and have a chat to me. I love to have a have a chat to everyone. He makes you properly well. I'm the, probably one of the most social butterflies going around, but I love it. I love people. I just love people. I can't help it. I'm obsessed with people. Love meeting new people. And I yeah. just want to. If I see someone, I guarantee they'll come here to get a book. I tell them make sure they come between this time, this time, because I'll probably chew the ear off for half an hour. And you know what? I'll probably end up giving them a counselling session while they're here because I'll because I'll probably have my little blinkers on, my psychological hat on. And I'll probably identify where they're currently at and uh, and I'll try to give them tools as they walk out. Well, we've got the same publishers, Ocean Reef Publishing, so I think it's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that they're doing books like this. So here's a little shout out to Ocean Reef and all the team there. I'd just love to say thank you for all the work you do for all of us that have a story to be told. And and maybe, just maybe, if you're listening to this, you it's it's a sign to, to get your own story down on paper. It's worth it. Thank you again, beautiful Leon. You're an amazing Lovely human. Us. Love you dearly. Take care now and you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care.
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.